Hello, and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Good morning. My name is Mike Grauber. I'm one of the investment writers at Julius Baer, and we'll start by giving you a brief market overview. The U.S. economy expanded 2.6% on an annualized basis last quarter, after two quarterly contractions. But the data release also showed consumer spending slowing on the back of inflation and higher interest rates. 10-year U.S. Treasury yields eased to 3.92% after the release of the report, and U.S. equities got a short-lifted boost. But on the day, the S&P 500 fell 0.6%. The market was brought lower by less than expiring results from Meta. Its stock dropped 24%, and so it has erased around $100 billion in market value in the last two days. This morning, U.S. equity market futures are also pointing lower. This is on the heels of Amazon dropping 13% post-market after it projected the slowest fourth quarter growth in its history. Apple also warned of a holiday season slowdown, but it dodged a route in other tech stocks after revenue and profit beat. We will now get David Meyer's thoughts on the ECB interest rate decision yesterday in a minute. But this morning, a French data release showed Q3 growth slowing to 0.2%. And later today, German Q3 growth expected is a rise of 0.7% and October inflation, a rise of 10 Point one is expected. As we are awaiting the data, the euro is once again below parity against the US dollar. The Japanese yen held above 146 to the US dollar after the Bank of Japan kept its ultra-low interest rate policy. Even as it raised its core CPI forecast to 2.9%, it predicts inflation will slow to well below its 2% target next fiscal year. And Japan's Prime Minister ordered an extra budget of $199 billion to fund an economic stimulus package aimed at easing the impact of rising prices. Asian stocks are lower today, with the brunt of the sell-off happening in Hong Kong, where stocks are down 8% on the week, its worst five-day performance following a Communist Party Congress since 1994. On to commodities, Brent oil is above $96 a barrel. President Biden blasted Shell for funneling profits to shareholders rather than lowering gas prices after that company reported a profit of nearly $10 billion. And the European Union has struck a deal on a law to effectively ban the sale of new petrol and diesel cars from 2035 onwards as part of its effort to combat climate change. And it is often said that climate change is leading to more varied weather conditions globally. So two Bloomberg headlines caught my eye today. One was that floods are destroying crops in Australia, while the other was that U.S. farms are so dry, the dirt is repelling fertilizers. In other news today, a host of companies are reporting, including heavyweights VW, Sanofi and Exxon. And Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. He's now even reported to become its CEO, besides already running Tesla and SpaceX. On U.S. economic data releases today, the focus will be clearly on the U.S. PCE core deflator, the U.S. Central Bank's preferred inflation report.
expectations are for a year-on-year -year rise of 5.2%. And with all of this, we see European equities lower at the open. This is all on the markets wrap today. And now I'm pleased to hand over to David Meyer, Macro Next Generation Research, on the ECB's interest rate decision yesterday. Uh, David, what did they decide yesterday and what is your take? Thanks, Mike, and good morning uh, to everybody listening. So yesterday, the European Central Bank uh, fulfilled market expectations by delivering the next jumbo hike, lifting its rates by a full 75 basis points. So the deposit rate is now at 1.5%, the main refinance rate at 2%. Quantitative tightening uh, was left at the discussion level and will likely only begin after interest rate normalization has been concluded. So with this action, the ECB, in our view, is still clearly prioritizing the battle against inflation over growth risk. Um, this after years on headline inflation had risen to 10% year on year in September. At the same time, however, policymakers are ignoring uh, warning signs in the form of slowing credit dynamics uh, that were revealed by its own bank lending survey, so slumping loan demand for houses and for consumer credit. And that's a crucial issue because the report showed that the rate increases of 125 basis points delivered so far, or 200 basis points as of yesterday, are already having a significant effect on economic activity in times of elevated recessionaries. And this actually argues for a more cautious uh, continuation of policy tightening going forward, more so as the European Central Bank um, appears to be now closer to a policy mistake in straining the economy with hiking rates to far than necessary. So, um, a trimming back of its forward guidance yesterday at the press conference, uh, where they dropped the reference that rate increases would continue for several meetings, suggests that the European Central Bank, in fact, will acknowledge these risks going forward and will likely join other central banks that recently reduced the size of their interest rate hikes so the Reserve Bank of Australia and the Bank of Canada. Um, we have held, in fact, a below consensus outlook for the meeting yesterday, expecting only 50 basis points. Um, and we believe now that given the larger step uh, this month, the ECB will trim back the pace of its interest rate tightening to a final 25 basis points hike in December. So this means that we also removed our projection of the last 25 basis points hike in February, and now admittedly continue to hold a below consensus outlook uh, with regard to the terminal rate that we see at 2.25% uh, for the main refinance rate. And some thoughts on the currency. Um, so with the European Central Bank meeting expectations uh, yesterday, the euro will hardly moved in reaction. I mean, so far, the ECB's rate normalization is providing only a limited tailwind for the euro, while the euro is rather being dominated by prevailing risk aversion and uh, the high cost of crucial energy imports. Um, as we now expect less than markets uh, from the European Central Bank, um, and the focus will shift to the Fed's meeting next week, uh, we continue to see downside euro-dollar risks over the short-term horizon. And that's all from my side. Uh, back to you, Mike. Thank you very much, uh, David, and very interesting thoughts and comments. And now I very much welcome Carsten Menke, head of Next Generation Research, who will give us an update on what we think is an important longer-term theme, even after this year's sell-off. 
digital assets. Over to you, Karsten. Thank you very much, Mike, and good morning. So the, the contrast for cryptos between the past few weeks and the first few months of the year could not be starker. And you've mentioned it before, we've seen a very swift and sharp sell-off, uh, and the asset class valuation remains around $1 trillion since uh, summer after peaking at $3 trillion last November. So we're seeing a little bit of a shift here from crypto crisis to uh, crypto, crypto calm. And that seems most prominent actually for Bitcoin, which has been trading in a very narrow range around the 20,000 US dollar level. It is also reflected in volatilities, which have come down to the lowest levels in around five to six years. Taking a closer look at the Bitcoin network at so-called on-chain data, we see some very interesting developments during the past few weeks. Underpinning this muted activity on the network, as well as the reluctance of short-term traders to return, the number of active addresses, as well as the share of Bitcoins held for less than 180 days, continue to decline from last year's highs. As a mirror image, the share of Bitcoins held for more than five years continued to increase, approaching 30% of total supply. And the dominance of large holders is still apparent despite this year's slide in prices, with around half of all Bitcoins being held by addresses larger than 1 million US dollars. Turning to the supply side quickly, the hash rate, which is the difficulty to mine new Bitcoins via the energy-intensive proof-of-work process, continued to climb and reached new record highs as of late. So, despite lower prices, Bitcoin mining has not become any easier, which is weighing on the miners' margins. Meanwhile, Ethereum, which is the second largest crypto, managed to regain lost trust after the merge, which was the shift from proof of work to proof of stake, outperforming Bitcoin as of late. While Ethereum's energy intensity is down by 99% because of the merge, further benefits of the network's upgrades, such as increased transaction speed and reduced transaction fees, will only materialize next year. Put differently, there is hardly any economic benefits of the merge as of today, which would make Ethereum more attractive for developers of decentralized apps. Plus, following this year's crypto crisis, the mood around decentralized finance, DeFi, remains very muted with total value locked, TVL, and such protocols range bound on very low levels. Overall, it seems that the top-down macroeconomic headwinds for digital assets are softening. A lot of negative news appears to be priced in, especially if our overall economic outlook of no U.S. recession and U.S. inflation rolling over materializes, as this should lead to a less aggressive U.S. Federal Reserve going forward. That said, bottom-up, crypto-specific factors have not turned favorable again, as market participants remain reluctant to return to the markets after this year's crisis. So, all in all, we are increasingly confident that we are past the trough in cryptos, but we struggle to see the trigger for a rapid rebound in prices. That's all. Back to you, Mike. Thank you very much, Carson. This concludes today's podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. We do hope that you'll join us again. Goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. 
We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.